we've been in this three-week series looking at a revolution, what's changed the world. We've looked at the Bible, the book that changed the world. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that's changed the world. And now we're going to look at the commands of Jesus, the final commands of Jesus that have changed the world. So as an introduction, take a look at the screen. They say the last words someone speaks before they die are really important. They carry weight and meaning. The final words of Jesus are just like that. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to his followers, Go and make disciples of all nations. Here is a command to go. But then after the resurrection, the very last words he says before he leaves the earth in the book of Acts are, Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. Again, a command. So which is it, Jesus? Is it go or is it wait? Or could it be both? Could it be that when a group of people wait for the power of the Spirit and then go in the power of the Spirit, a revolution begins to happen? Could it be that when a group of passionate followers of Christ, so full of Him that they cannot stay any longer but they have to go into every area of life that they could change the world? This is exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. A revolution began to change the world and it's still going on wherever people hear and respond to his command to wait and then to go. A revolution begins. One does something special for the sake of humanity because one is angry at the injustice that one witnesses. You denounce it. You because I believe that God has called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish justice and righteousness in our world. If you remove the yoke from your midst and the speaking of wickedness, I have a dream. Then your light will rise in darkness. But one day, and your gloom will become like midnight. This nation will rise the up. The Lord will continually guide you. Live out the desire, true meaning of its creed. scorched places. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created God is with the vulnerable and the poor. We have a world that is desperately crying out for God the church of Jesus Christ to be living our message and reconciling that world to relationship to Jesus. He's called us to be on a mission to change the world. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. God is with us. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. If we are with them. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together.
great Christian revolutions don't come by discovering something new. They come when somebody radically lives out what was always there. This command started a revolution that changed the world. The question is this, is it changing your world? So I know you've never done this. What is going on today? So I know you've never done this, but I want to pass a note around church this morning. So I'm going to just pass a load out. And I want you to read it. And then when you've read it, I want you to pass it back to somebody else. Is that all right? Because some of you are going to be the recipients of this note, but others of you probably won't be so fortunate. So we're just going to pass a few out there. Is that okay? And so when you read it and then pass it out. Now, interestingly enough, what's written on this note has, prop, has cropped up in history quite a few times, actually. So is it, just pass it around, pass it around. And um, American presidents have used it to, to, in some of their inaugural speeches and other times when they've tried to kind of you know, galvanise a nation. And there, there's a rumour, we're not quite sure whether it's true or not, that in the late 80s, in a square in Romania, in a public square, that there was a group of people gathered and that a young girl passed a note around with these words written on it. And the rumour is that these words could have galvanised that crowd and started the revolution that brought down the dictator called Ceausescu and brought Romania into democracy. So who's got the note now? Helen, what does the note say? Do you want to read it? <laughs> if not us, who... If not now, when? It's a great statement, isn't it? It's a great two little phrases. If not us, who? If not now, when? And it's like that's a kind of a call to action. It's a call to response. It's a call to do something to change a situation or a circumstance. And if it's not you, who on earth is going to do it? And if it's not now, when? 2,000 years ago, I believe that God passed the note around a small group of people. And this group of people were the disciples And there was this sense in which God kind of said to them, listen, you guys have got to be the people that respond to the call and be this community of people that will start a revolution that will change the world. And this group of people had two kind of messages from Jesus ringing in their ears. This message to go into all the world and this message to wait to receive the power of the Spirit. And it was like on Pentecost 2,000 years ago, and we'll celebrate that on the 12th of June. That's the Pentecost Sunday okay, across the globe. And, and we as a, as a group in, in this area are going to be meeting, and you know all about that. And there's a prayer that we've been praying through this period, and it's available at the back. Some of you have asked me for the prayer. There's a blue fly at the black. Grab it. The prayer is on there. Pray it with us over these next few weeks. But Pentecost is the day in which we celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit came and it fell on this group of people and they responded to the command of Jesus to go into all the world in the power of the Spirit and a revolution began and they changed the world. And do you know what? That revolution is still going on now. Do you know that? Contrary to what the great theologian John Lennon once said, he's not a great theologian, John Lennon once said this, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right and I will be proved right. We are more popular than Jesus. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. In 30 years, he said, everyone will know the name the Beatles. The name of Jesus will be forgotten. How do you know that's not true? 
We might still know the name of the Beatles, but the name of Jesus is as strong as it ever was. And the revolution that began 2,000 years ago in that group of people there in Jerusalem, the church is still changing the world. If you've got a Bible, I want you to look at two passages of Scripture with me this morning. Matthew 28, we've been talking about the importance of bringing your Bible, okay, and having it and opening it, and we're going to read it. And these two passages of Scripture are very well known to many of you, so well known that some of you will immediately switch off because you think you know everything about it. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago, when we approach the Bible, we should never approach it with a sense of familiarity or, dare I say, pride. Because God can speak to us through His Word every single time we read it because His Word is alive. It's active and living, sharp than any two-edged sword. So there is nobody here, including me, that we can't read the Bible, even when we've read it lots of times and see something fresh. Let me read it to you. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Just pause there for a minute. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to doubt. What you see there is a group of people around the presence of Jesus, some worshipping and some doubting, but they were all with him. They were all with him and they were all with each other. And when you are doubting, the important thing is what your doubts do and where your doubts take you. They stayed connected together even those who were doubting. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And now in Acts chapter 1, now, if the last words of someone before they die and, you know, are really important, as I said on the video, then you could say those were the last words, but they weren't quite the last words because after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to about 500 people, including his disciples, over a period of 40 days. And he said lots of things to them, but in the book of Acts, we record um, what God really wants the most important things to be recorded. And so it says in in verse 1, in my former book I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, says Luke, until the day he was taken up to heaven. Then it says in verse 3, after his suffering, that's the crucifixion, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So he says lots of things over that period, but on one occasion, so this is the really important thing that's recorded, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates, which makes this thing that's been going on in the news so ridiculous. If you're not seeing it, this idea that yesterday was going to be the rapture. and I don't know if you've seen that. It's been all across the news, all worldwide. It's ridiculous because the Bible clearly says no one is going to know the time or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So immediately they think, oh, hang on a minute. You've said that before. You said, go into all the nations. And now you're saying, wait and receive the Holy Spirit. So, they're both commands. So which is it, Jesus? Is it go or is it wait? And as I've been thinking about this, I thought, you know, that's so 
summarizes how polarized we can often get in the church. There are those who are the goers, and that could sound wrong, couldn't it? But they're the active people, the ones that want to go, the ones that want to do, the ones that don't want to hang about. And then there are those who are the opposite almost of that, who are those that don't want to get active, that don't want to go, that want to wait and receive and receive. And we can polarize and think it's either or. And I want to tell you, it's not either or, it's both and. You see, if we separate them out and we say, no, 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 it's not wait, it's go, then we'll end up going in our own strength, in our own energy, and we'll burn out, and it'll be more of us than it will be of God. But if we take go out, and we say it's all about God, and we need to wait, and wait, and receive, and receive, and receive, we'll receive so much that we'll get fat spiritually, and eventually we'll die, because that's not how we're meant to be. But could it be that these two commands of Jesus were meant to be seen together, And the sense in which God is saying, listen guys, if you wait and you're so full of the power of God and then you go in the power of God, that will start a revolution and it will change the world. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Acts, the book of Acts, is like the second chapter of the continuing story of the Gospels. And you get immortality through a variety of ways, in case you're looking for it. Uh, you You can get immortality by doing famous things. In history, you can get immortality by the fact that you influence people and your kind of life goes on in them. But you can get immortality through your presence and your very spirit living on in others. And that's what Jesus has done. Jesus is immortal in in the sense in which, of course, he's eternal. But he's living on, because eternity and immortality are different. You know that, don't you? But we won't go there. That's deep. Okay. He's living on through his body, isn't he? A Hindu man once went to a preacher and said, I must belong. He just read the book of Acts. He said, I must belong to the church that carries on the life of Christ. And so must we. We must belong to the church that carries on the life of Christ. And um, interestingly enough, when Jesus commands them to wait for the Spirit, the word for Spirit that we commonly translate is the word comforter. Anyone heard the word comforter? The Holy Spirit, yeah, in John chapter 14. Of course, when we hear the word comforter, we think of someone putting their arm around someone saying, there, 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 that must be difficult, which is fine. That's not what the word means. When the word was originally translated, it was translated first into English by Wycliffe, which was centuries ago. And he translated it into what it really means, which is in the Latin, it's fortis. It literally means bravery. The Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, will make you brave. The comforter is bravery. And of course, yes, he is soft and all of that. But he, intrinsically, what God the Spirit wants to do when he comes into you is to make you brave, give you the courage to live the life of Christ, to let that life live through you, give you the bravery to live the power to go on. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, when Jesus says, I am with you always, when the, when the Jewish hearers heard, I am with you always, of course, they're thinking Exodus chapter 4, as you were thinking, weren't you? Uh, Moses is at the burning bush. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. Mo- uh, Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. And Moses says, yes, I am what? No, I am. And so Jesus says, I am with you always. It's like this sense that my life is going to live through you. The power of me through you as you respond. And then he says, so wait, receive the power, and you then will be witnesses to me. Now a witness is an interesting word. It has three meanings. Someone is a witness who says, I know this is true. I've seen it or I've heard it. You're a witness. 
Someone is also a witness who doesn't just say it, but who lives it out. Their life is a witness. Their life is a testimony. But the word witness also means someone who is loyal to the end, no matter what the cost. Because it's the same word where we get the word martyr from. So you see that what God is saying is that when you wait... And when you receive the power, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to know something. You're going to live something out and you'll be loyal to the end. It's really what he's saying. And the early church was birthed in a pagan, hostile culture and it changed the world. The great Christian revolutions do not come by discovering something new. They come when somebody radically lives out what was always there. And I want to tell you this morning, the reason that I've done this series... You think it's so basic, it's the Bible, it's prayer and it's the church. It's so basic because there's nothing else. There's nothing else. Not really. Those three things are the things that actually we're going to build our faith upon. That's what it's all about. The Bible is the word of God. Prayer is what connects us to God. The church is the community of Christ. To the hands and feet, the body of Christ on earth. Now, we're going to find new ways to do it, new ways, new ways to say it. But I tell you what, that ain't going to change. Those three things are not going to change. If you're looking for something else, you're in the wrong place. Because the Bible is the Bible, isn't it? And prayer is what connects us to God. And the church, the called out community of Christ, is God's plan A for this planet. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about what does a revolutionary church look like? Okay, if the command of Jesus to wait and then to go, put them together, what does a revolutionary church look like? And there are five things that I kind of believe God is speaking to me about. There are probably loads more, but let me just rattle through them. Number one, a revolutionary church is a church that is always moving forwards. Do you know what atrophy is? Atrophy means wasting away of the body or part of. It means a degeneration or decline from disuse. It means a decrease in size. Now we'd all like that, wouldn't we? Or many of us would, a decrease in size. But this comes from a wasting away. Atrophy happens to the church when the church stops being a movement and starts becoming a monument. When it stays static and immovable, it starts to waste away and to die. The tragedy for a church is not when a church begins to die, but when a church has lost its reason to live. And I want to say to you for this church, you know, we're in a very interesting season. Think the building thing's still rolling on and we've got some big challenges there and all of that. But I tell you what, building or no building, this church is moving forwards. Because the minute this church stops, we're in trouble. Because when you stop moving, and this is true of an individual and of a church, you begin to atrophy, you begin to degenerate, you begin to waste away. And a revolutionary church is a church that is always moving forward. Number two, it's a church that is open and not closed. Last Sunday, I I spoke to you about uh, a week last Friday uh, that some of us leaders in in the church leaders in the borough went on a prayer walk and they did another one this week that I couldn't make. There's another three, I think, planned. So we're doing about five across the borough. And this, a week last Friday, was brilliant. We started at Merry Hill. Um, Weatherspoons for breakfast, amen. And uh, then we walked, we walked out of Merry Hill, Quarry Bank, Cradley, which is not Cradley Heath. You all know that, don't you? Let me just say that for those of you local people. And then we ended up back in House Owen in here. And what was interesting to me was a couple of things. Number one, I walked on roads that I drive on all of the time. But have you noticed you don't see much when you drive, do you? 
And all of a sudden, walking on these roads that I've driven on hundreds of times, I see things that were always there that I never saw before. I thought, is that really there? I never knew that was there. It was really interesting. But then the other thing was that as we, as we came into Hales Owen, the other guys were saying, oh, you know, what, what happened? they turned to me, being the, the leader from Hales Owen, saying, you know, what's going on here? What can we pray for here? Blah, 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 blah. And so we walked in. And as we came on the Starbridge Road and we, we turned right into Richmond Street and stopped outside Windsor High School and Sixth Form and we prayed for that and we prayed for the school and the governors and the staff and the teachers and we prayed for all the schools and all of that. Then we walked up the hill and then as we were dropping down into Hales Owen, we stopped... There, right on the side of the road. And on the left was St. John's, okay? Been here a thousand years, that church, okay? Faithful witness of Christ in this community for a thousand years. Right in front of us was the Temple of Asda, okay? And the whole kind of, you know, thing. And then on the right was the Highfields Estate. So we stopped there and we prayed for the historical church and for the witness of the historical church. We prayed for the businesses and for, you know, the whole commercial thing. And then we prayed for the Highfields estate. One of the most difficult estates, one of the most challenging estates in the whole of the West Midlands area. And then before we moved on, one of the guys said, can we walk through the estate and can we pray? And so we walked through the estate and we prayed and we ended up at the Hope Centre doing such a great job there where the lighthouse used to be. And we stopped there and we prayed. And you know, as we were walking through the estate and as we were praying, and then as we stopped and prayed... I can only tell you, and I don't want to be dramatic about it, but God really spoke to me very powerfully and very directly. And he said something like this. Leon, what on earth are you guys doing? He says, your church is right opposite this estate. You live right opposite this estate. You have never walked through this street before. And I said to God, God, you're overreacting a bit, aren't you? But (laughs) I didn't say that. I wanted to say that. And I think what was God was saying was this. There are people on this estate here who need you, who need the church, who need Christ. And guys like the Hope Centre do an amazing job there. And other people. I know we are involved as a church individually in lots of different ways. But it's just this overwhelming sense that God was saying, what on earth are you doing? You love the fact that you send people all around the world. And tonight we're going to have an African night and we're going to think about Zambia and Swaziland and other countries. And, and Jesus said, you'll go to all the nations. But you know what? God sometimes is sending all the nations to us. Right on our doorstep are people from all kinds of nations with all kinds of needs. And God is saying, you need to do something about it. And, and all I can say to you is that God is stirring me big time. And I started to talk to some of the leaders about it. And we'll start talking with the elders and with you. And that's what I want to do this morning. But we need to be open as a church, not closed. Open to the winds of the Spirit. Not like, oh, seeing it done, it got the t-shirt, which is what so many Christians get to. We need to be open to risk and adventure. Open to going into the places that we deem dangerous. You know, the church in the Industrial Revolution, when the church kind of came into the, uh, in the sense of the Industrial Revolution and urbanisation happened, the church went into urban environments and were right in city centres. They built Methodist central halls right in the centre of the cities. Now the last 20, 30, 40 years, churches have been desperate to get out of the city and into desperate housewife land, into suburbia, where they can all be nice and safe and comfortable. We need to regain that sense of going back into the dangerous places. 
that God wants us to go. Last Sunday, Simon and myself and a couple of guys from Victory Outreach, we, we went to uh, speak at a church um, in Oxfordshire, in a very nice village in Oxfordshire. And um, these fellas that came with us, um, one's from the central Glasgow, one's from South Wales, and they told their stories about prison and and. and gangs and uh, violence and drugs and alcoholism and care, foster care and all this kind of stuff. And these guys from this very nice village were like, you know, in fact, one of, one of the fellas there, one of the musicians who I know, he's an old friend, he's from the east end of London and now he lives in this nice village. And he said to me afterwards, he said, do you know what? We did this church prayer gathering for all the churches in the town and my job was to go to the police and ask them what are the major issues that were challenging you as police in this village? And the policeman said, oh, I can't really think of it. There are a lot of cats that have gone missing. <laughs> now, let me tell you, that village has got needs. Those people have got needs. There are real needs. I'm not belittling that in any sense. But we can get lulled into a sense that everything is so nice and comfortable. Do you know what I mean? And that little clash there between cats are missing to the world in which these guys came from was quite phenomenal. And we as a church need to wake up and say, do you know what, life is not just how comfortable it might be for me and my family. But for some people, right on our doorstep, life is not like that. They do not have hope. They do not have help. And they need the church in all of its shapes and sizes. So open to the winds of the spirit, open to risk and adventure, open to failure. You know, we, we can lose that sense, can't we? Like Peter, you know, gets out of the boat and walks on the water and, and sinks and gets wet and gets back in the boat. And all the other guys, you can imagine saying, ha, you know, you muppet, you're the one that got wet. We're all dry. You won't do that again, will you? And I can imagine Peter saying, of course I will. I mean, if he says, come again, I'll go again, even if I get wet again, because then you have the thrill of walking on the water. And then you know what it is to be rescued by your God which is a phenomenal thing. We've got to be open to failure. We've got to be open to the new without forgetting who we are. And I want to ask you to help us this morning. In your bulletin, there's a little survey thing. I hate surveys. I don't believe that they're all that helpful at times, but we're going to start this process. And uh, basically, we're exploring and thinking through that if we as a community want to reach people who we're not yet reaching, we might have to do something that we're not yet doing. Because if we were reaching people we're not yet reaching with what we were doing, we'd be reaching them. Does that make sense? So perhaps in order to reach those that we're not yet reaching, we might have to do something that we're not yet doing. And so there are four different environments or shapes of church that we're just exploring and praying about. And we'd like your input. So I want you to imagine, or not imagine, but think rather, about someone that you know that doesn't at the moment come to church. I don't know God, they don't come to church. And you think that actually for them to come on a Sunday morning here at 11 or 9 in this kind of shape, they're not going to do that. Or, or they might struggle with that. What other kind of environment might they come to? So might it be at another day, on another time? Perhaps they work every Sunday. Perhaps they see family every Sunday. Might it be a church that, might it be on a Sunday morning in the coffee shop where it's hosted by other people and it's a real cafe church thing, but they're watching the service upstairs and it may be a first kind of port of call for them before they come up the stairs and sit with you lot. Would it be a Sunday evening gathering that's not kind of formal like this, but more in a semicircle, more, more, of, an in, more of a social thing with food and, and chance to explore life, that kind of thing? Would it be a church in the community, on an estate, 
in an environment where they haven't got to leave that environment and come to somewhere else, but it's a church that's growing up out of the community. So we want you to think about the first person that comes into your mind that you'd love to see coming to church who doesn't normally. And we want you to tell us which one of those four you think they go for. And it's going to be the AV vote. Is that all right? So it's the alternative voting system which we're employing here. I know the country voted against that, but that's what we're using. So your number one option, what you think's number one, you put one. Two, two, three, and four, and then we'll do that together. Is that all right? So we'd love you to help us with that. If you could do that today, that would be great, and stick it in the post box at the back. That would be fantastic. Number three, a revolutionary church is a church that has stories to tell. Every revolution has stories of individual people, acts of bravery, acts of sacrifice, acts of valor. We have to be a church that has those kind of stories as well. You know, I get inspired with Simon's coming to the church, into the office and around things, and things are starting to happen, and it's brilliant. You know, and, we, and that's bouncing off on other people, and other people are doing that as well. And, and as you go out into the marketplace, be great to have stories about what God's doing as you, the church, go out into the marketplace and into colleges and into schools. Be great to start telling those stories. A revolutionary church has stories to tell. Number four, a revolutionary church is a church that takes responsibility for its culture. A guy called Irving McManus is a great writer and thinker. He said, the problem with many of our churches is not that we've chosen a wrong strategy or we have an irrelevant style, but that we have an unhealthy culture. I'm going to say that for any church, it doesn't matter what strategy you use. If your culture is unhealthy, it will fail. And so I, I used to think some years ago, and well, I didn't used to think it, but I used to do it. That you know, you go to a conference somewhere and you get a new book and you get a new idea and you get a new method and you come back and you slap it on the church and it all would be well and revival would happen. It doesn't work because the culture is what really needs to change. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. Excellence is not an act but it's a habit. What kind of culture? Did that early church have? You've got a Bible, 1 Thessalonians. I love this little passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And it's just like a window into the culture of a church. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, in verse 4, it says this. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Then it says in verse 6, You became imitators of us. And of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then this great verse, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in these regions. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that brilliant? This church, this little church, became a model in the region and everywhere. Why? Well, there's no mention of uh, their strategy. There's no mention of their vision statement or of their activities or of their programs or of their leaders or of any of that. But what is mentioned in verse 2 and 3 is their culture. Listen. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what's happening in that church is that they are ignited and fueled by a culture of faith, hope, and love. It's not bad, is it? To live by faith, to be known for love, and to be a voice for hope. 
That's not a bad culture. And it's that healthy culture which creates a revolutionary church. Final thing. A revolutionary church is a church that is full of people who are full of God. Can I just say, it's not a church that's full of people. It doesn't matter how many people you've got. What matters is that the people that are in the church are full of God. So you can have hundreds of people, but if you're not full of God, it's not a revolutionary church. You have a few people who are full of God, that's going to change the world. It's going to shake the community up. It really is. When us, when we as a people get so full of God that we can't contain that, that's going to make a difference. Amen? Anybody out there this morning? But just being full of people is not a revolutionary church. It's a church that's full of people who are full of God. So that is what I believe a revolutionary church is. It's always moving forward. It's open and not closed. It has stories to tell, takes responsibility for its culture, and it's full of people who are full of God. Some of you are thinking, that sounds great. Where do I find a church like that and can I join? I want to say this morning, the church I see is a great church. The church I see is this church. And you see, what we do as Christians, and this happens so many times, and to so many people of maturity and leadership, it is quite frightening. We depersonalize the church, and we use totally inaccurate words and terminology like them, those, they, him, her, it, rubbish. You cannot apply any of those words to the church, because the church is not a depersonalized, dehumanized institution. The church is us. And the language of the kingdom is not you and me, but us and we. It's not them and they, it's us. And so when we get that clear, we think, hang on a minute, I want to be a part of a church like that, so how am I going to help create it? Because we have two options when it comes to the future. How many of you want a good future? The rest of you, okay, that's fine. Be miserable the rest of your life. If you want a future of any description, there are two options to how you're going to move to the future. Number one, you'll drift to the future. Or number two, you'll help shape the future. But by what we do today, we will help create and shape the kind of future that we're going to enjoy tomorrow. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a part of the revolutionary church here in Zion? You see, it's so easy to say, oh, the church, if only the church was more this, if only the leaders were more that, if only them others in my life group were more like this. And we miss totally what the church is all about. It's what we collectively, with the power of the Spirit, create and make and shape that will determine what the church will be. So, let me ask you some questions. Number one, are you moving forward in your faith or have you become a monument? Are you personally moving forward in your faith, or has your faith become a monument? You see, we need a vibrant living relationship with Jesus, not because you might die tonight, but because you must live tomorrow. And my question is, have you got a vibrant living relationship with Jesus Christ? Not because when you leave this place, you might get hit by a bus, but because when you leave this place, you have a life to live, and it only is lived with a vibrant living relationship with Jesus Christ. So are you moving forward or has your faith become a monument? Number two, are you open to the winds of the Spirit, to risk and to adventure and even to failure? Not just Simon and other people that we mentioned, but are you open to that in your life? When was the last time you did something for the first time in regards to your faith? 
And if it's 1954, or whatever the year is, then we need to think again. God, let me live a life where I'm doing new things for the first time because I'm open to the winds of the Spirit. Number three, are you living with stories to tell of God's grace at work in your life? Number four, are you taking responsibility for the culture that you want this church to become? Or or have you got yourself stuck in a place of armchair critic? Do you remember the Muppet show that used to be on years ago? Remember them two old guys that used to sit up in the balcony? Such a picture of church, isn't it? There's always two guys up there, just or, or girls, just critiquing everything. Or should we say, no, actually, I'm going to get out of that balcony position. And I'm part of this. Because it's not them. It's not they. It's not him. It's not her. It's not it. It's us. It's us and we. You want to be more loving church? You've got to take responsibility for that. You want to be more giving? You want to be more sacrificial? You want to be more evangelistic? You want to be more involved in justice and social action? Then you have to take responsibility for that just like I do. And I tell you what, when an army of people, when a group of people get that kind of ownership, it will change the world. It will change the world. Finally, are you full of God? Are you full of the power of God? Are you living full with the power to go on? The Bible started a revolution that changed the world. Prayer, a revolution that changes the world. And this command to be a revolutionary church full of the Spirit of God going into all the world has done, is doing and will be revolutionary that will change the world. Let's pray. I want to ask us to stand for a moment. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. I want you to imagine that you are, well you don't have to imagine, you're in a crowd this morning. You are in a crowd here this morning in this place. And I want you to imagine that Someone's kind of nudging you to the side and, and you kind of, you know, you, you look down and they hand you a note. And you open the note. And the note says, if not us, who? If not now, when? And that's a question. Two questions. And it's kind of like saying, it's really personal. It's not just us. If not you, who? If not now, when? And I wonder how many of us would just fold the note back up, pass it on to someone else? Or or would we say, me, now. Me, now. Me, now. I am going to be a revolutionary Christian. I want to be part of a church and I'm going to help create a church that is a revolutionary church. So I am going to take responsibility for my faith And I'm going to take responsibility for this culture. And I'm going to be open to the winds of the Spirit. And I'm going to have stories to tell. And I am going to live a life full of the power of God. And if that's you, and you want to pray that with me this morning, I want you to lift your hands with me this morning as we pray. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, like He did 2,000 years ago in Pentecost. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us this morning. And to ignite some of our hearts and lives. Father, we pray. Lord Jesus, you are such an amazing God. and You said that you would be with us always to the end of the age. You said wait and receive the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we need that so much. Not a one-off experience, but a continual thing. 
God, we want to just wait in these moments and we want to receive from you afresh today. And Father, I pray that for those of us whose faith has become a monument, that Lord, that we'll start to move again from as, as a result of today. That Father, for those of us who, you know, we need that openness, Lord God. Perhaps we failed and, and now we're just closed. We put the t-shirt up that says, seen it, done it, nothing out. God, would you open up our hearts, I pray. Be open. Lord, those of us that have got ourselves stuck in the balcony of criticism, looking on, judging, looking down. God, would you bring us down from there onto the stage, as it were, to get involved. Father, we pray that we would be full of the power of God. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us right now. You just ask Him right where you are. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us with the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask you, God, that, that, that group of people that were, were angry and that were confused and that were fearful and they were anxious and they were together in a room and they were worshipping in a faltering way and they didn't quite know what was going on and, and there was that sound and, the, and that sound of wind came in through the room and, and they looked up and it seemed to be tongues of fire on the heads of everybody else. They couldn't see their own but they could see other people's and they were so full of the power of God that they couldn't stay in that room any longer. They spilt out onto the streets and 3,000 people became followers of Christ that day because that group of people became the revolutionary church. So God, we want to become like that as well. Holy Spirit, would you fall upon us, we pray. Fill us with your Spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. We're going to sing, but it's not, not a song to sing as a song, if you like. This is a prayer, and this is ministry, and this is you inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to fill your life again today. So don't sing it just as a worship song. Sing it as a prayer and as a cry that you will be a revolutionary Christian and that we will be a church that is a revolutionary church in Jesus' name.